You are on the Crooked Mile. Join Ed on another fabulous adventure. Thanks very much. Thank you. Welcome again, everyone. Yes, you are on the Crooked Mile. And we are about to embark on a journey of epic proportions. A tale of omens disregarded, swashbuckling heroes, and a damsel in distress. So, if you've the stomach for a broadside, well, make fast your souls. Cut the lines and square the yard. The high tide has flooded the bay. Hold fast. Here we go. The Great High Seas Adventure, Part 1, Prologue, The Pink Boat. A man once told me that the two best days of owning a boat are the day that you buy one and the day that you sell one. Well, I really wouldn't say that those two days are any better than any other day of boat ownership. More likely any day before you acquire a boat and any day after you let it go. Those are better days of boat ownership. Now, several years ago, my lovely wife Rhonda had the opportunity to take a trip to Reno one spring with her mom and her aunt, which when they came back, they had more stories themselves than they had of their money. Well, anyway, while they were on their adventure, I decided to take a trip to Almira, Almira, Washington, to Chuck Bailey's house. Ooh, whoopee! Well, I thought, oh, whoopee. You see, Chuck had offered me his little fishing boat because he was getting a new one. It was a warm spring day in the valley, a beautiful day for drive. And Travis, my stepson, volunteers to ride along. Now, I want to stop right here and clarify. Even though the term stepson is technically correct, um, it is woefully inadequate in describing our relationship. You see, Travis probably is one of the best friends I've ever had. And Travis, like all my kids and my grandkids, are some of the greatest inspirations to me of all time. Now, as I said, it was a beautiful day. It was warm. Travis and I pile into the pickup, and off we go, with no idea what peril awaits us as we happily venture on into the boating nightmare that will last for two years. It's late morning when we arrive at Mr. Bailey's house, but Chuck is nowhere to be found. But the boat's here, and so that's cool. The boat, a 14-foot Skagit, a 1957 model, fiberglass with a 35-horsepower outboard motor mounted on the back. The motor is a similar vintage. Well, it's pink, Trav says, needing some attention. To me, however, it looks like the Princess Marguerite. 
Now Chuck would argue that the boat was salmon colored, and I eventually would take up that same argument. But he knew, as well as I did, as did anybody who ever saw the boat, that it was definitely pink. After about two hours, Chuck finally shows up. He was down at the local coffee shop playing cards with the old timers, as he liked to call them. Well, Chuck gives us some pointers, and we head for home. Away we go, with the pink boat in tow. As we do, we seem to be turning the heads of other motorists, as well as pedestrians, and they seem to be snickering at the sight, which happened, if I recall, every time we took the boat for an outing. But who cares? Away we go. As we're driving along the empty highway towards home, Travis and I are discussing the grandiose plans we have in store for the pink boat. Then suddenly, in the mirror, I glimpse something black fly up and then disappear. Oh, crap. What's the matter, Trav asks calmly. And before I'm able to utter a sound... Bump screech! The trailer just had a blowout. Now, at this time, I should have recognized the sign of things to come. It was an omen. I'm sure of it. What I should have done was to unhitch the boat trailer and drove on, never turning back. But no, I was a proud owner of a new boat. And as luck would have it, Chuck threw in a spare tire. Kind of makes a guy wonder now, doesn't it? Anyway, it was an easy change, and the rest of the journey home was uneventful. But I see now that it marked the beginning of the saga of the misadventures of the pink boat. Part 2. The Great High Seas Adventure Ah, yes. Another beautiful spring day in the valley. Up at the crack of daybreak, getting the pink boat loaded up and ready to go fishing. Got her hooked up, got about half the lights working, and the cooler is full of lunch makings. Well, I'm ready, honey, I called Aranda. Let's go. Okay, she assures me. Just let me fix my hair, and if you could, help me clean the house up a little bit, then we can go. Okay, great. Up before daybreak, and on the road at 9.30. Fish Lake, here we come. As we arrive, the air is calm. The still water of the lake reflects the mountain that stands majestic at the north end of the lake like a mirror. The mountain stands snow-capped about eight months out of the year. It is quite picturesque. We back the boat down the launch, get her in the water, give a couple tugs on the ripcord, and we're off. We have set sail. As we put down the lake, we... We pass some old-timers fishing from a dock, and everyone waves as we float by. Somebody calls out, Nice day for fishing, isn't it? Sure is, I say as I wave back to him. We motor on about half the length of the lake, about 30 or 40 feet from shore, a place where I am sure is holding fish. Yeah, this looks good, I say. We'll drop anchor here. Four and a half. Out they go. Out go the anchors, and we are held fast. And at that, we get our poles out, get them set up, and ready for some still fishing. Those trout don't stand a chance. 
Now all is calm. The lake water is gently lapping up against the boat, and Rhonda casts out towards the shore and gives out her proven fish call. Here, fishy, 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 fishy. I smile, and moments later I cast out as well. And as I do, I feel a breeze on the back of my neck that wasn't there a minute ago. I turn to look out across the lake, but I say nothing. Oh, great, Rhonda says. What? It's going to get windy. Oh, I don't think so. Not too bad, anyway, I assure her. Minutes later, however, the little pink boat starts to rock. Just a little. Then soon, it starts to rock a little more. And then a little more. Rhonda slips on the life jacket, and I snicker to myself a little bit. Then look out across the lake again. White caps. Oh, no. The pink boat is rocking pretty good now. And Rhonda says to me in a nervous voice, Eddie, I want to go back to the shore now. Okay, I say grudgingly. Let me pull the anchors. I grab the rope for the front anchor, lean over, and just as I do... Yep, a wave breaks over the bow and splashes me right in the face. And now the wind is really starting to pick up. Four, five-foot swells are starting to form. Splash! Splash! Well, I don't know how big they really were, but they were too big for the pink boat to handle, and they're breaking right over the side. Eddie, Rhonda says, I want to go now. Okay, just a sec. I try the rope again. Give it a good hard pull and snap. Lost that anchor. No longer being held up front, the boat violently whips around, drifting sideways until a rear anchor grabs hold and yanks us to a stop. I think I heard a little scream, but I'm not sure where it came from. It's at this point where I decide maybe it's best that I should try to start the motor first. The wind is blowing even harder now. The pink boat is really rocking. I reach for the ripcord, the waves are breaking over the side, we're taking on water. I give the cord a firm yank. Nothing. Oh, great. I try again, and again, and again, and again, nothing. Rhonda, at this point, has become uncomfortable with our situation and informs me of her feelings. I calmly assure her not to worry. Yeah, she's not buying it. Well, why don't you just pull the other anchor? Rhonda suggests. Well, if I were to do that, I say, this wind is really going to send us down the lake. Well, Rhonda doesn't care much for this response because she just wants to get moving off this lake. In the meantime, though, I take the cover off the motor and investigate. I try the motor again, and again, nothing. Eddie, she says, I think you should just pull the other anchor. Well, honey, I don't think that's a good idea. I'm scared. Pull the anchor. Now, being the old salt, the able-bodied seaman, the experienced sailor that I am, I calmly try to ease Rhonda's fears, telling her that there's nothing to worry about. All the time, while I'm thinking to myself, Man the pumps! Man the pumps! Batten down the hatches! Abandon ship! However, I reveal nothing, and reluctantly try the anchor rope. 
and more water in my face. I grab the rope, which is held fast and tight. Give it a good yank and nothing doing. She is held fast. This thing ain't coming up. Well, it's stuck. Well, why don't you just cut it? Rhonda says nervously. If I do that, just cut the effing thing and get me out of here. Now, experience dictates that when Rhonda uses this tone or this language with me, I am not going to win any debates. As a matter of fact, there are no debates. So against my better judgments, I cut the rope and swish. Away we go. Well, now as we were taken down the lake sideways and out of control, we float by a young couple in a rowboat, frantically rowing against the wind. The young man calls out, Hey man, can you give us a tow? He calls. I wish I could, I shout back to him. Man, how I wish I could. As the young couple tries to row frantically against the wind, their boat remains stationary at best. Meanwhile, the pink boat is about to run aground on the far shore. I try to get the motor started before we do that, but alas, my efforts are in vain. When we were safely on dry land, on the wrong side of the lake, mind you, but on dry land nonetheless, Rhonda hops out of the boat and I investigate the motor situation once more. Utilizing all my technical and mechanical skills, I determine that our only course of action is to try to start this poor excuse for a boat motor one more time. Finally, after several attempts, the motor is starting to show some signs of life. It's sputtering, it's coughing, it's sputtering, it's coughing. All right, come on, come on, I say, coaxing along, come on. Putter, putter, putter. All right, honey, let's go, let's go. Get in. Oh, thank God, Rhonda says as she climbs back into the boat. Now Rhonda assumes her position at the helm, as I do mine in the engineering station, and we labor up the shoreline against gale force winds. As we struggle against the wind, trying to make for the boat launch, we make it just past where the old timers are fishing from the dock. And just as we pass the dock, the motor gives up, and away we go again. Passing the gentleman on the dock again, for the third time, someone calls out, Breezy today, ain't it? Well, I don't need a weather report. How about tossing me a line? Well, they don't have a line. And mine is only two feet long because I cut it. Ah, oh, crap. So quickly, I try the motor one more time. It sputters and comes back to life and is running, barely. One more time, we pass our friends on the dock. And closer and closer, we struggle to make it to the boat launch. Honey, I think we're going to make it. And Rhonda, at this point, is wind-blown and her nerves are frazzled. She has never seen a more welcome sight than the boat launch coming closer and closer. 
but ever so slow. Only 30 feet more and closing. The motor sputters. Rhonda's at the wheel and I'm at the motor coaxing along when suddenly the motor sputters once more and then kicks in and we're off. Headed for the bolt launch at full speed. This motor is running as if it was brand new and at full throttle. Shut it down! Shut it down! And we do so, just in the nick of time, and we calmly drift in, and a collective sigh of relief is breathed. Now, without a word spoken, we trailer the boat. The wind subsides to a gentle breeze. Rhonda and I climb into the truck, and before I pull away, I turn to Rhonda, and she turns to me, and I look her square in the eye. I smile and tell her, you, sweetheart, owe me a new anchor. And we laugh and have a pleasant yet uneventful trip home. And all the fish were safe. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.